0: Welcome everyone to episode 5 of the Higher Calling Podcast, presented by the Avondale Church of God. Today we are reviewing the 5th chapter of Hebrews. We're going to be discussing a few points. First, we're going to be talking a little bit about church history. Then we are going to transition into talking about the calling of Jesus Christ to be high priest. And then we're going to be closing the episode out by talking about spiritual maturity. Last episode, we left off chapter 4, talking about entering boldly into the throne of grace. I'm Daniel Marsh. And I'm David Dowdy. Let's get started.
1: So here we have Hebrews chapter 5. And we did speak a little bit in the last episode about entering into the throne of grace and Jesus making intercession for us on our behalf to God. And this is really just picking right up where we left off. Verses 1-4. through For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself... Also is compassed with infirmity, and by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So (laughs) let's have a quick discussion about the biblical doctrine of the church being called uh, to God for the ministry and priesthood.
0: So some background on the office of the high priest. So way back in the Old Testament, there was the Mosaic law that was established by God through Moses. And so there was the people of Israel that were set aside from the world. And then within the people of Israel, the Levites were set aside. They did not get any big swath of land for themselves to settle. They were set aside for the things of God. And inside that family was, or inside that tribe was the family of Aaron, Aaron's family, as the office of high priest. So according to Albert Barnes' commentary, the high priest was the head of religious affairs and was the ordinary judge of all that pertained to religion and even to general justice of the Hebrew commonwealth. You can look through Deuteronomy to get those references. He also only had the privilege of entering into the most holy place once per year to make atonement for the sins of the people. So the office of the priesthood, the office of the high priest, was a very important for the people of Israel. And it's the equivalent to what we have today of the judicial, the executive, and the representative power, With speaking in terms of our government, between God and the people, so comparing or a high priest to one of our modern-day pastors would not do them justice. In Jewish culture, they were the top tier of society. They were the governmental force. But almost as a contradiction, the earthly high priest, because they were not perfect people, also needed to offer sacrifice for himself as well as the people when he was going and making that atonement.
1: Absolutely. And I wanted to bring up also traditions of priesthood because church history is full of splits and personal interpretation of biblical doctrine from one church, one set of doctrines to the other. And there is a lot of confusion about this topic. My question just to the general audience is what happened to the church from the book of Acts? So, If we're taking the book of Acts as ground zero, and it clearly talks about the church. For instance, God added daily to the church such as should be saved. Later on in Acts, um, they were called Christians first in Antioch. Well, what happened to that church? Well, if you follow the history of discipleship, where all of the 12 original disciples had different people who learned from them, studied underneath them, and then carried on their learnings to a broader audience and taught generations upon generations of Christians. Well, if you follow up that, you say, okay, the Catholic Church ended up being what the original church started out as. And then the Catholic Church went through a Protestant Reformation, and the church is just made up of all of these denominations. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. We're going to cover the unity of the church in future podcasts, but there's two parts of this discussion. The first part from John chapter 17, Jesus had a really long prayer in this chapter. It speaks to the fact that if you are called from God to be saved, then you are loved of God. And if you're called by God and you also love God in return, then Jesus... By extension, also loves you. And then we're all one in God and one in Jesus. Okay? And the second part is explained in 1 Corinthians about there being one body. And we'll go ahead and read verses 12 through 14 from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So this body is anyone who loves God, not anyone that is a member of a particular church or particular denomination. Uh, John 14 and 15 says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. And then in Matthew chapter 7, 21-23, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So, like we said, if you follow discipleship, you're following this tradition of generational um, church membership. First the Catholic Church, maybe still the Catholic Church, because it's, you know, well and strong today. Then the Protestant Reformation, and you have the Methodists, the Lutherans, the Calvinists, on and on. And it goes, it's not the title above the door, it's the heart condition of the person. And the saved people make up the body of Christ. This is a great example of being a member of a church but not a part of the body of Christ. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Didn't we worship you in my church? Didn't my church do a lot of wonderful works, missionary works to places abroad and different countries and given and helped the oppressed, done a lot of great things? Well, that's great and that's fine. But Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. So, you can say you love God and you can be a member of a church, but if you really do and you keep God's commandments, then you will bear the fruits of salvation. Essentially, living a life with a clean conscience. But membership in any particular church isn't what makes you a Christian as defined by the Bible. There have been a lot of different churches through history and The name above the door isn't what makes it the body of Christ, rather the heart condition individually of the people. So we can carry on here verses 5 and 6 of Hebrews chapter 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so verse 5, we've covered this ground a lot in podcasts 2 and 3, talking about Christ as God's son. So verse 6, let's spend some time on Melchizedek, because he's going to come up a lot over the next chapter or two, because there's a lot of tradition in regards to Melchizedek. And in Judaism as a whole, there is a lot of tradition. It, it makes sense that this book of Hebrews is written to the Jews because there is a transition from Judaism to Christianity. And the book of Hebrews is really critical to outline who was Christ. What role did Christ fill? How did he fit into God's plan from this transition out of the Old Testament and the Mosaic Law into the New Testament. So Melchizedek in Hebrew, this name means king of righteousness
0: or king of peace. And like we were saying earlier about the priesthood was typically handed down through the patriarchy. The sons of Levi were the priesthood and they handed it down to their sons and it went on and on and on. Aaron had multiple sons and they had sons so the family got quite large and it kept with that family. In contrast, Melchizedek has no recorded father. He did not have a birth or a death, as we read in Scripture. So we perceive Mechizeldeck as being a type of Christ. And a type is referring to a category that explains something. So the office of the high priest is also a type of Christ, and so is the throne of David. And we can get into those in future podcasts. And we'll definitely dive more into Mechizeldeck and his significance in episode 7, when we get into Hebrews chapter 7. And Christ is the highest officer of the church. He's the founder. In the Old Testament, they didn't know who Jesus Christ would be. They just knew that there would be a Messiah. They knew that he'd be fulfilling these different roles. They, they, they saw the signs and prophecies. And there was different things pointing to this Messiah that was becoming. Abraham gave that honor to Melchizedek as priest. And we learn through Hebrew traditions what that symbolizes. It is the foundation that Jesus is to be conferred that honor because Jesus was chosen of God to be high priest.
1: And we read that also here in verses 7 through 10. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek.
0: So now we get to the important part about Jesus being the high priest and the intercessor between God and mankind. It's the fact that When he offered himself as sacrifice, he did not have to offer the sacrifices for his own sins, for he was already perfect. He was already holy. So when he offered himself on the cross, all that sacrifice went to the sins of the people. It was the final sacrifice. It was a perfect sacrifice. And that's
1: exactly what Jesus did. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed and said, if it be thy will... Let this cup pass from me. You know, that was a very traumatic experience for Jesus. And it records here in Hebrews that he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So let's transition here from high priesthood into Christianity and the role that we play as Jesus was our ultimate sacrifice. The last chapter that we read in in podcast number four, ended with a very similar discussion about us living a holy life so that we can boldly enter the throne of grace. Same thing here in chapter five, verses 11 through 14, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskilful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good
0: and evil. I find it really interesting how the author puts this. There's There's so much to cover on this topic of spiritual maturity and it really comes down to doing what is right. So why does he have to define or ask what is righteousness? Because he's addressing the Jews who were the masters of Mosaic law. They knew it inside and out, but because the law was changing through Jesus becoming the high priest and the church being established rather than the old Mosaic law they'd have to learn everything again. It's no longer thus saith the law and the law law of Moses to the nth degree on every little thing. Mm -hmm. It's now you have principles to live by. It needs to come from the heart, not just through outward exercising of rules. And for the Jews, that was a difficult thing to do. And we can see that in churches today. There are many outward, great, wonderful works that we see. They, they build magnificent cathedrals. They send hundreds, of, hundreds to thousands of missionaries to mission fields. They give millions of dollars to causes without end. But inside, their hearts are broken. They aren't living right. You may have a pastor preaching the pulpit on Sunday, and then the rest of the week he's turning to whatever addiction he has. Or the congregation will say, praise the Lord, but then they're whispering gossip and doing all sorts of things that are not in line with the word of God. It's hard to say you aren't, you aren't ready to hear the, the, the real things of God because you've not established these first things. And all those types of things were going on all the way back in Christ's day. And the author is espousing that it's no longer just an outward thing. It's like, okay, I go to church, I give my tithes, I wear appropriate clothing in public. It's not just that anymore. It needs to come from the heart. So the author is really asking, are you right with God? Are you living in a way pleasing to him? Is your heart right? And that was a hard thing for the Jews to hear.
1: Absolutely. And to give some scriptural context to this conversation of, of growing up, like we read um, here in chapter 12, are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. And verse 14, strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So there's this maturity process that's happening from being a babe in Christ to being someone who is Uh, well-established in the faith. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 14 through 16 talks about this, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cutting craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. This is literally what Hebrews chapter 5 is talking about. The church at that time was young when Hebrews was written. And this book filled a purpose to explain who Christ was and how he was establishing his church. And it's very important to have this stuff written and codified. And God inspired the author to write it down so that we could have it. And God protected it so that we could have it today. We don't need a new book. We don't need more doctrine. So, Is the Bible against having a brick-and-mortar building or church or congregation? No. And it's very, very important to put, put this down here. The Bible says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. So this podcast is not instructing us to avoid assembly, There is a place for a pastor. There is a place for a deacon. And the Bible clearly lines out what their role is in the church. The congregation should obey them and that the pastor has the rule over the congregation. It's not about being accountable to nobody. And again, Ephesians 15 and 16, "...but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ." so there's a calling don't be any more children grow up and verse 16 from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part making it increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love we need each other and our salvation is not so independent that we hide out in our house far away from other worshipers and have our own little church service being our own priest. No, the church needs one another. And it's important to study church history. Billy Graham wanted to make church popular to the masses. So what do you do? Do you close your Bible, write your own book, quit preaching about holiness, quit preaching about living right, just so that we could have more membership in our churches? No, And also this concept of don't judge me, only God can be a judge. That's not biblical either. But what it does is when you have a popular church full of members, it diminishes the actual message that Jesus had to live holy. This is the essence of what we're talking about. When we get saved, we do start off like a young child. We do need food that's easy to digest starting out with Bible stories, starting out with children's songs, and getting involved with the basics. But then we start working towards stronger meat, get into the doctrines. We start having some real spiritual challenges. Why do I believe the way that I believe? What is my faith grounded in? And God will engage us in physical affliction. He will challenge us with difficult times, with people problems, and perhaps in our social environment, having to take a stand for what's biblically right. But then there's going to be a lot also that comes along to help inspire our faith, like miracles, healings, getting good jobs as God opens the right opportunities for us. He'll work out our financial problems. And little by little, our faith will be added on the foundation of our salvation. But the challenge is what happens when promotions fall through? persecution comes from our loved ones who don't believe in god what happens when illness comes and our spouse is sick or our children are sick and cares of life come and snatch the seeds away god doesn't want spoiled children he answers prayer but it's in his time in his way and he teaches us how to have patience through that have confidence that god's going to work all things together for good and then bringing things to a close here 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 and through 24. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, which in this case means love, and peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, and patient. So when we're growing up in Christ and we're no more youths, no more children, we need to have our faith grounded in strong doctrine and our faith and knowledge of God, not going to be easily swayed. Hebrews chapter five, verse 14, the last verse there said, but strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. Full age means you've come into maturity, into adulthood, and you have the responsibility to stay true to your convictions. And the verse ends by saying, even those who, by reason of use, and reason of use means exercised, you've gone and you've fought that battle, and with God's help, you've won the battle, and you won't be swayed about with every wind of doctrine. In, in this sense, maybe think of it like you're not a Baptist one month and a Lutheran the next month and a Nazarene the next month and a Catholic. Yes, we're going to go through our searching time. We want to know what God expects of us, but... When God calls us and and we find the truth, the true doctrine, and we're fellowshipping with those that love God in spirit and in truth according to what the word of God says, then that's where we're going to stay. And the last part of that verse says, senses exercised to discern both good and evil, to be strong, to resist temptation, to avoid sin entirely. God will provide a way of escape, and when your senses are exercised to know when and how to get out of the situation, then you will take that opportunity. James says, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Your good judgment will come in and say, okay, here's my opportunity to escape the temptation, and I do not have to sin. And that is spiritual maturity, not always starting over from the beginning. So we'll wrap this podcast up and we'll end chapter 5 on this note. Looking forward to Hebrews chapter 6 in our next podcast. It's really been a pleasure, and we trust that you found the discussion both challenging and encouraging. And as always, thank you for listening. And if you have any comments or would like to contact us for any other reason, please visit www.ceasesinning.com or email us at biblestudy at avondalecog.org We'd love to hear from our audience, and we'd be happy to further any discussion or pray for a need that you may be experiencing. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.